CQ? Calling CQ. Uh, uh, come in, please. Thanks for listening to the JT and Looney podcast. JT and Looney podcast. I'm, uh, I'm assuming my levels are good. Episode 25. Tell me your sins, my son. Uh, well, I, I should mention that I'm Jewish. Well, that's no sin. Oh, good. And I thought we'd wrap up 2019 with the year in review, but not a year in review in sports, Tom. A year in review of reflection on both of our careers and our lives this year in radio and podcasting. Oh, you mean bless me, Father Radio, for I have sinned. Radio confessions. I love it. Dear brothers and sisters, habemus papam. We just, we both just finished watching the two popes on Netflix. Oh my God. And I wanted to do this because it inspired me. I loved it. I gave it four out of five bricks. I loved Anthony Hopkins. I loved the Vatican, the whole story behind the scenes. And it was fantastic. I thought it was one of the best pictures of the year. It's my favorite movie of the year. Is it the best movie I've seen this year? Possibly. It's definitely my favorite. And sometimes those are two different things for people. Definitely a 10 out of 10. I, I just loved that movie. I can't give it any other number. And same with you. Uh, I'm always fascinated by a- any movie that's filmed in Rome anyway, or, or Italy in general is probably going to catch my eye because of the history. You know, we live in a country where, where some cities are over 20 years old. <laughs> as, uh, as Steve Martin said in L.A. Story, but God, the rich history there and those two intellects, kind of battling it out, but in a very diplomatic way, we could learn a lot about that in America and how to discuss social political issues with each other when we don't agree, but still adore each other. Those scenes in the 16th chapel were in that actual chapel, correct? There's no way that that was a Hollywood set. I don't know know that. It was incredible because when I went into the Sistine Chapel and I went in there with my wife, I had a moving experience there. And I think I shared the story with you. I walked in and went on the tour and they said, no cameras, no cameras. You can't have a camera in that holy place. So I put my cell phone away with my camera. And I remember walking out of it backwards because I wanted to see it. I wanted to have that vision. And I walked out backwards and I looked up at the ceiling and the creation because I always wanted to remember that if I never came back again. And as our tour was waiting for us, a door opened up and it was to the Pope's private residence. And I didn't see the Pope, but I saw someone who resembled the Cardinal or someone in that room. And I just remember the effect it had on me. And when I watched the movie, I saw that same door, the same entrance I went through, and it was just thrilling to me to see it again. Well, I think anybody who's been to the Sistine Chapel, as have I, uh, enjoys that scene because when, I can't speak for you, when I was there, there were so many people in there. And so many people taking pictures with a guy walk, running around telling people not to take pictures and saying, because it's a chapel, but, every, but there's so many people in there that it's loud. And uh, and some priest running around going, telling everybody to be quiet because it, to show respect. So it was a little bit chaotic when I was in the Sistine Chapel. So I loved that scene because I got to see, I got to see what it's like for people who get to go in there when it's empty. And that was just one tiny part of the movie but i just those two guys and there's i told you before we hit record i told you about my favorite line in the movie and i don't want to give it away because i don't want to be a spoiler 
but there were a lot of them in the movie, and I was transfixed by it. And I think the most important thing Americans can take away, if it doesn't sound like something you'd enjoy, first of all, you might enjoy it anyway. Yeah. And number two is the discourse between two guys who didn't agree on anything, but had an incredible deep respect for each other. One of my favorite lines in the movie, and this won't give anything away, is when Pope Benedict said, oh, my God, everybody seems to like you. This is with Cardinal Jorge, who eventually became Pope Francis. And uh, and Pope Benedict said, everybody seems to like you. And Cardinal Jorge says, well, my philosophy is I just act like myself. And Pope Benedict says, I act like myself and nobody likes me. <laughs> yeah, and it was just, it was, there was just lots of really lovely interactions like that in the film. It was great. Typically at this time of year, and as we record this podcast, it's Friday, December 27th, uh, people look back at the year in review in sports, and they look back at the greatest turning moments of the year from the Patriots winning the Super Bowl, and you go through the Women's World Cup and Megan Rapino and all the other great events that came down to the NBA Finals with Kawhi Leonard, and especially a media perspective of the year in review. But I wanted to take this time for two reasons. I wanted to talk about our friendship, our relationship on and off the air, and the journey that we both went on from this time at the end of December in 2018 all the way to 2019. It, to me, it was one of the most challenging, rewarding, and unique years of my entire broadcast career. And, you know, I often mock that. I've said that. I never got into this business because I wanted to. A lot of it had to do with luck. I was in the right place at the right time. I never right. dreamed of being in radio or behind a microphone. But, you know, close to 25 years later, I built a life and a career and a family around this. And I wanted to take a look back at it as we get ready and flush out my radio sins of 2019 <laughs> and start fresh in 2020. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it absolutely makes sense because it was an interesting year for both of us and maybe for people who are listening who got to know us over the years on Fox Sports Radio from 2004 to uh, to 2018 every night together people feel as though they know us and probably want to know what we've been up to when we haven't been on fox sports radio every night yeah we've had a really loyal audience we were together for 14 years i was with fox for over 17 years started in radio in 1996 when i won the jim rome smack off i was a stockbroker i thought it was going to be my career I was at Merrill Lynch in La Jolla when I won the smack off and then really a door opened in my life. If I didn't win that contest, if I would have came in second, fifth, ninth, I never would have met you. I never would have met my wife. And I had a long time to think about this and come to grips with how fortunate I was at that moment in my life where I wasn't really focused in life anymore. I was a classic burnt out young stockbroker because mm -hmm. I lived the life of the Wolf of Wall Street. The movie The Boiler Room was based on the group of guys I worked with. I mean, the actual group of guys that I worked with who wrote a movie about it. And by the time I got out west and I knew I didn't want to be a stockbroker, I tried real estate. But I was really coming to the end of where I was probably going to have to go back home. I probably was going to have to quit or throw in the towel and not be ashamed about it, but probably go back east to my family again and maybe start a career there as a stockbroker again, or do something that would have been more unique for me other than radio. 
but a window opened or a door opened and I kicked it in and became a sports talk radio host. And that's what brought me to you years later. Barcelona beats Man United 2-0 in the Champions League final, Looney. That was my last tweet. Yes. I'm going to have to give a new tweet here. Yeah, people want something more than kickball on your tweets. Well, how about this? I got breaking news. Katie Kirk, please. Oh, yes, got it right here. The Yankees are tied for first. We'll talk about that next when we come back on Sports Radio's most interactive show. Well, and you can't ignore those doors. You know, a lot of times in life, people have to... Remember when doors open, when you've got, or as some people put it, when God taps you on the shoulder, you've got to respond. And you did uh, when that happened and you did kick down the door and you wouldn't take no for an answer. It's a great story that you've written in the book, The Handoff, which isn't all about you and all about radio. It's about it's something much deeper and richer, a friendship, etc. cetera. But uh, I, I think that one of those things that happens in life is one of the things we need to take advantage of in life is when those doors open, when the universe taps you on the shoulder, you've got to kick that door down. I think that's also what we both had in common over the years. Yeah. And that journey, which opened up in Los Angeles and San Diego and brought me to Vegas out in 1996. And then I ended up getting hired by the Raiders doing that pre and post game. I moved up to the Bay area, but at that entire time I met my wife And my whole life started that way. So it took me a long time to really appreciate that relationship with Jim Rome, because if it wasn't for Rome, I never would have got started in the business. I didn't appreciate Rome early on in the business because I didn't think he appreciated me. I was wrong there. I apologize for that. I, you know, he had his own life, his own career going very successful. And I came into the business with a chip on my shoulder and then started working these ungodly hours when I started eight hours a day working overnight radio. And then in 2001, Fox came as a door shut when Sports Fan Radio Network went out of business. And I ended up because of Tom Lee, a gentleman who I met back in Seattle when he ran KJR. He brought me to Fox Sports Radio in 2001, Memorial Day. And that opened an incredible chapter of my life where I had a chance to be syndicated at Premier Radio Networks and to work with Fox Sports Radio and then meet a group of people that turned out to be some of the best people, Tom, that I ever met in radio from Julie Talbert to Craig Kitchen to all the producers, board ops, and all the friends we made on and off the air. And we were both very lucky that Tom Lee was a fan of both of ours. And, you know, when doors close, they open. You were talking about that. And uh, at Extra Sports 1150 in Los Angeles, Looney and Dave show back in the day, right after 9-11, Uh, Not too long after that, there was a big bloodletting, and I produced uh, a radio show at uh, KFI in Los Angeles after that. Looney and Dave's show ran a couple of years, afternoon drive in Los Angeles. Then I was producing another show because the program director was smart enough to know I still wanted to be in the building. And Tom Lee came calling, and I came over to Fox Sports Radio. At the same time, I was doing the best damn sports show, period, but my number one love is radio, and Tom Lee knew that. And by bringing me into Fox Sports Radio, Andrew Ashwin was the guy who wanted to put you and I together because he knew that I could take some of the edge off you because you're a fun frat president, but that doesn't always come over the air when you're, uh, didn't come always come across the air when you were hosting alone. Then once I got there to call you, uh, you know, to, to call you out on stuff, people realized you have a sense of humor when you're being called out on stuff because you're 
Yeah, neither one of us take our lives too seriously. We love being one of the guys. And the one number one thing that made us work together over the years was friendship was more important than anything. And getting along was more important than anything. And so if something didn't work on the show, we didn't hold a grudge about it because holding a grudge would affect the friendship and we would never do anything to affect the friendship. We wanted to build a friendship. We were used to doing that from childhood friends. And, and uh, when we met each other's friends, it was usually somebody that we had known for decades because we meet friends and we keep them. We don't consider them accessories. We consider friends and friendship a necessity. Absolutely. And that chapter, when we came together because of Andrew Ashwood, and I wrote about that in the handoff, and we've talked about it in the past, that was a really important part of my life to meet a mentor and a friend who became my boss. And that's a really long story for a different day. But we came together and we had a really good run because we both believed that every show we did was our best radio show. And we really enjoyed it. And in the back of my mind, even before Andrew died of terminal cancer, he always told me to evolve. He always said, you got to keep getting better and you got to evolve because there's going to be suits or somebody along the way who's going to tell you at the end or when a chapter ends that you didn't evolve and that's the way we're going to move on from you. And that never happened with us. So we went on this incredible journey. We hosted so many radio shows together on so many pivotal nights in sports history. Oh, my God. And in the history. And in human of, history. Yeah, human history. Nights of tsunamis. Oh, and- my God. That tsunami, that, that's, that still stands out to me more than any other night we ever did together was the night because it was it was broad daylight in, in Japan. And we were sitting there trying to do a sports talk radio show, which seemed so silly <clears throat> because we were looking up at the televisions and there were waves going over farmland. You know, you usually see waves crashing into a, to a beach, not waves flowing over farmland and wiping out cars and killing people right before our eyes on television. And I think we gained more followers on Twitter. That. So this may sound uh, silly, but I just want to make a point about this. We gained more followers on Twitter that night than any other specific night because I think of the humanity we set sports down and we just talked about what we were seeing on television as cars driving down the street were getting sucked up by tidal waves. It was a fascinating, very sad night. And it's really strange in broadcasting. I know I always thought about this, you know, you you look back and maybe like, in 1980, the president gets shot, you know, uh, President Reagan and all these guys, 81, these guys got to put on sport coats and think, wow, I'm going to be on TV all day. It's this weird kind of excitement where there's no script and you got to cover something. Absolutely. And that brings us to the next chapter of this podcast. And really the reason I reached out to you and I wanted to do this is because I wanted to do it for younger broadcasters and for kids who are going to get into the business and especially young broadcasters. Cause as I've talked to you at length, the business has changed so much in the last five years. Look, I'm hosting a podcast right now out of my wife's walk-in dress closet, my wife's, my wife's closet, right? So my wife's closet and you know, I'm, I got a several other jobs and you're doing great and we have well, different and jobs. Your defense, by the way, that's funny, but, but you have a big house and it's got, it's very echoey. You got one of those Vegas yeah. houses with high ceilings and we couldn't find the right space to get the right sound until we put the equipment 
in your wife's walk-in closet, and now the sound is perfect. It's never sounded better, but I'm very critical when my wife has some of her dresses out or her shoes all over. I, I feel like I want to go clean it up in the middle of this podcast, but uh, I digress. So I wanted to get back to 2018, the summer okay. of 2018, because uh, my whole career I've been able to get new contracts. So I was with Fox at 2001, had a two-year deal with a one-year option, a two-year deal with a one-year option, a three-year deal, a two-year deal and a one-year option. And that made me proud. I always loved to get a new contract right. because it gave my family security. It made me feel like I was successful and I was winning. And going back to the summer of 2018, I just had a sense even though we were doing great on the radio as Fox Sports Radio was kind of morphing into Fox Sports 1. Right. It started to become television more than radio. And I just said to myself, I I'm not hearing enough from management. And I didn't like some of the management. I respected some of it. But I just knew that something was up. And I told my agent about it. And my agent was, look, everything's going to be okay. They love you. You're going to be back again. And I said, no, they're ghosting me. And I was at the U.S. Open in the Hamptons in Long Island. And that was the last time I ever spoke to management when they were asking if my hotel was okay and how was the golf. And I remember hanging up the phone and telling my cousin Gino, you know something, this is going to be my last event at Fox Sports Radio because we should be signed up again. We should get another two-year deal, three-year deal. We were the best, arguably the best on that entire network. But I just knew because I was more experienced than you, you and most that, we were getting ghosted. Yeah. So so I started to get a little bit stressed out, and we're doing radio shows, and I'm sensing that this was going to be the end of our run. Well, you were the best tea leaf reader I yeah. knew at Fox Sports Radio, and when you kept talking about that, I was kind of um, I was kind of ignoring it uh, and hoping you were wrong because you had been right so many times. I, I I stopped listening to you because it was just one of those things. I thought the problem would go away if I wouldn't pay too close attention to how well you were reading the tea leaves. And once again, you read it well. Continue. And what disappointed me the most at that time was I was a milestone guy. Still am in my life. You know, like my dad, when he retires, you get a gold watch. They throw right. you a retirement party. I always envisioned that happening to me at some point at Fox Sports Radio, even though we're still young mm -hmm. and our best radios in front of us. So long story shorter at this time, I realized that they weren't going to bring us back, but they weren't going to be proper about it and let us know. In radio, they don't give you a heads up if they're no. not going to bring you back. They're still and, afraid you're going to scream poopy on the radio on yeah. your last day. And, it's, and what bothered me the most for me personally, not just us together as a team, is I was six months away from a radio milestone. I would have been the longest ever sports syndicated host at one place. Not the best, not the longest in the business, but Jim Rome left Premier to go to CBS to be very successful. Colin Coward left ESPN to come to Fox. But there were two guys that I really respected, Mike and Mike, in Bristol. And remember, mm -hmm. they had a breakup, and everybody talked about their breakup. Oh, they weren't talking to each other. One wanted to go to TV in New York. The other one wanted to stay back. And there was just speculation. And they were two good broadcasters. So that team yeah. broke up. And I said to myself, man, if I stay another six months at Fox and get one more deal, I'm going to break the record of Mike and Mike and Jim Rome at Premier and you as my partner. This would be the longest run in the history of syndication. But then got wind that the contract wasn't going to be renewed. We weren't fired. We weren't dismissed for cause. And no one reached out to us. And they knew 
that I knew, but they wouldn't step up and do the right thing. So I'll never forget the night. It was the opening night of the NFL season mm-hmm. of 2018. And I just had a very uncanny feeling that this was going to be our last show together. And one of our great friends in the business and in our personal life called me and he said, Hey, I just got out of a meeting and I heard two guys are going to be in your time slot and it's going to start here pretty quick. And I said, are you kidding me? They said, yeah, call your agent. And I called our agent and I said, just get on the phone and let me know. Either way, just let me know. And our agent called me back in the beginning of our show, our last show together on the air and said, yeah, uh, they're going to call you tomorrow and let you know. And I was so bitter about it, but so proud of that last show we did together because, Tom, we never let it affect the show or the audience that night. I think it might have been the best pop looting we ever did. Burt Reynolds had just died, and we covered a retrospective of Burt Reynolds' career in pop looting. And and nobody knew. It's some of the best radio we did ever. And... I thought we had we're at that point with us two, we were dancing together better than ever on the air and maybe one of the best shows we ever did. And I'm very proud of that too, because we knew, we knew the jig was up and they didn't know that we knew before they got to tell us, but we still went on the air and didn't scream poopy on the radio and uh, did one of the best shows we ever did. Yeah, I was really proud of that night. And then the next day, one of the most powerful executives in the history of radio, Julie Talbert, mm-hmm. called me and gave me a great, it was a phenomenal phone call. And uh, tears came down from both of us. I mean, we love each other. And she was talking about the decisions that were made. And I was okay with it, still upset about it. And she asked me one thing at the end of the call, what would you like me to do after this? And I just said, we're done. We're great. I don't want anybody else calling me because I didn't want the management who didn't have the guts to tell us ahead of time or do the proper thing to even have the grace or the ability to pick up the phone and call me and tell me what I already knew. And I knew they were going to tell us the entire time. And I said, no, I'm a proud guy. We're done. Your phone calls, the most important thing to me. We ended on a perfect note. Hopefully we'll get an opportunity to be friends and maybe work together down the road. But I said, the last thing I want is another phone call from anyone who didn't have the guts to call me for years, let alone that year or that summer and tell me that they were ready to move on so we could do it properly. So that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was a void in my life, you know, 17 and a half years on Fox sports radio, 14 years with you and it's gone. And then the speculation started running rampant on social media. Did he get fired? What did he do? Oh my God. So I was able to control that narrative because I knew about it ahead of time. I put out a tweet, got great response from the audience. And then that it was like losing a limb at that moment. I said, this is something I've done for over 17 years and 14 with you. And it was gone. And it took me months to get over it. The bitterness, uh, the spitefulness, the pettiness that I had at that point, because it didn't end Tom on my terms. Yeah. And as a restaurant owner, many times, you know, I, I wasn't I did, probably didn't have quite the chip or, or, or the bitterness you did because I had to let people go. And not only that, uh, my restaurant, Van Gogh's Ear in Venice, was a wildly popular celebrity restaurant. A friend of mine and I opened it up in the 90s, not knowing uh, that much about the restaurant business. And everybody came. Uh, uh, our concept was embraced. It became a hot Hollywood hotspot. 
And it was also a gallery. We had lots of wall space. So it was a restaurant and gallery. And I was also in charge of the artwork. And every eight weeks, we would change the artwork. Well, I had had to tell people that we were taking their art down off the wall. Or I had to tell a lot of artists that their art, uh, in a diplomatic way, wasn't good enough to put up on the walls of Van Gogh's. And all the artists wanted to be on our walls because all of the eyes that would be seeing the art. And it was a great, great spot to get your art hung. So I, our art was taking, being taken down off the wall. Uh, we were told that it wasn't, was no longer going to be worthy of being up on the wall. So I had been in the position of those bosses before. I've had to fire people. So I wasn't as bitter as you were. Also, a couple of different things probably affected me. First of all, the first time I ever put on a suit and tie to go to a funeral, I was four, and it was my father's funeral. So I think a lot of times in life, when that happens to you, there's a perspective that you get where anything dramatic that might be enormously dramatic for others isn't quite as dramatic for you. Mm -hmm. Al Downing gave up the home run number 715, to uh, Hank Aaron. I had just read about this in Kurt Menefee's book just before we got uh, dumped. And he was talking about how after the, you know, he had been a Yankee and a Dodger and had a really cool career. And, but he's going to be forever known as the guy who gave up home run number 715 to Hank Aaron, the Dodgers L Downing. At the press conference after he gave that up, somebody said, with the wonderful career you had, is it somewhat disappointing or does it really upset you that you gave up home run number seven to 15 to Hank Aaron? And it's probably what you're going to be known for. And he said, the most upsetting thing to happen to me in my life was when I went to my mother's funeral when I was 13. So after that, everything else has a different perspective. So L Downing and I both shared that type of dramatic <laughs> uh, perspective when it came to uh, our, our perspective on dramatics when it came to our lives. So, it didn't affect me, it damaged me probably or, or make me as bitter as much as it did you. Yeah, and for me, this is part of uh, spending some a few moments and sharing this story with right. young broadcasters because it's important that they understand that this could happen to someone and it's not the end of the world. Because at no. that moment, it wasn't the end of the world for me. It was just a pain in the ass. And the reason, <laughs> the reason why, the reason why it was a pain in the ass is I loved that Iron Man streak. I was really proud of that. Yeah, and you I were. really, I really cared you about that Iron that. Man streak. Yep. We weren't replaced for a better show. That was obvious, and everyone mm. in the building told us that. And then I was always doing a local show anyway in Vegas. I was doing two shows every day, and I was doing them out of the same studios, and it was complicated, and we had to find a ways to connect every night. So whenever I finished my local show in Vegas two hours a day, I would go home early knowing that I still had three more hours of radio left in me that was taken from me. Yep. And going back to the management and all that, so that was a really big issue. But then we fast forward to the healing process. And the entire time, I've always wanted to work for one guy named Steve Cohen, who I've told you about at Mad Dog Sports oh, yeah, Radio. Yeah, we run into him at the Super Bowl, yeah. and he would always roll out a red carpet for you. Yeah, every time I saw him at the Super yep. Bowl, he would be so kind. When's your contract up? And my contract was never up. And I'm talking about 15, yeah. 12 years. It would be we'd have a drink. Hey, what's the status of your deal? I got a deal. I got another year on the deal. I got another two years on the deal. But that relationship with Steve Cohen was important to me because I said if I ever need an opportunity down the road, 
that's the guy I wanted to work for. And I ended up working for him by getting hired by Mad Dog. But going into that holiday season, which was Thanksgiving, up into Christmas and right around now, a year ago, I started filling in for Mark Chernoff, the famed WFAN programmer who runs CBS Sports Radio. I was filling in for Scott Farrell. And Scott used to fill in for me when he was in between jobs. Mm -hmm. I I was working these crazy shifts, midnight to five. I was doing six, seven hours a day. And I said to myself, well, I got to stay active. I got to stay busy nationally because the national audience is not going to know that I'm on locally. And we started to launch this podcast. And then I started to grind again, put the headset on every night, started doing all this radio, doing more and working hard. And here's a lesson to the younger broadcasters coming up at this stage after being 17 and a half years with Fox 22, 23 and radio, my goal wasn't to work harder and longer. (laughs) That wasn't the plan because I'm at the finish line. I was seeing the finish line. My point was to work smarter and less. So for this year, I've never worked longer hours, more draining and physically on my body and mentally and more shifts, more time slots, And it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because all of those reps made me better on the radio, I believe, set me up with two different companies, two different programmers that I wanted to work for, and then gave me the opportunity to land on satellite radio on Mad Dog, where I kind of wanted to be for a long time. I just didn't know it until it ended at Fox Sports Radio. Now, is it difficult on Saturday uh, on satellite radio because you're – your listeners are paying customers. <laughs> subscribers. So if you, you're right. If you, if you subscribe, if you scream at them and hang up on them, uh, like we used to on Fox Sports Radio, uh, they might want their money back. Fox Sports Radio, they couldn't ask for, they couldn't ask for their money back. Yeah. <laughs> the, way I, the way I subscribe, and it's like I run a rental car business and everybody rents. I'm renting the car every night. I can't right. return it trashed. Right. right, I can't return it with beer cans all over it and, right. and dirty. I have to wash it and clean it every night. So I treat the subscribers much differently than the listeners from back in the day. But I, you know, I just wanted to get this off my chest because I want to go into 2020 really grateful. And I am very grateful about what's happened. And the lesson is my career started with a door opening, which brought you into my life, my wife into my life, so many important things. And then when that door closed at Fox Sports Radio, the way it closed was so disappointing to me because young broadcasters who wear their baseball caps on backwards and shorts to work and they want to be a board op and then a producer and then work weekend overnights and do updates until they get their own show. Tom, the business has changed drastically since we got in. They're not giving away the free money. I mean, when I started doing overnight radio back in 1997, 98, they were paying me $300,000, $350,000 to do overnight radio wow. because the money was there and they were throwing it away. And now the young broadcasters who are coming up, there's not going to be that pie of money anymore. There's not going to be the opportunity that you had. There's going to be a lot of consolidation and changes, and you're going to have to roll with the flow. And every once in a while, you're going to get someone in management that doesn't look you in the eye and doesn't tell you the truth and doesn't thank you. I mean, I left I left a 17-and-a-half-year incredible run, 14 with you, and no one said goodbye to me. No one yeah. thanked me other than the biggest of the biggest person and Julie Talbert. And I said to myself, man, I got to share that story 
somewhere down the road for the kid, the guy or the gal who's in the business with the headset on going, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to go on vacations and buy homes and travel the world and build a career in radio? I'm telling you, it's going to be difficult, but you can do it if you have the right people around you, which are your friends, your partner, your family, because they'll get you through it. And most of it's good times anyway. There's just a oh few bumps God. in the road. And, and it beats working. And yeah, don't think of it as competitive oh. as you might think it would be because – you know, not everybody wants to public speak for a living. A lot of times it's the biggest fear people have. People would rather be in the box at a funeral than uh, talking into the microphone about the person in the box. So I did talk to a, a young a friend of a friend who had just graduated Syracuse. And he said, I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, well, I, I want to be on the air, but everybody wants to be on the air. I said, that's not true. Most people don't want to be on the air. That's the world you live in. That's a tiny little world that you live in. Most people do not want to speak into a microphone or do public speaking for a living. So it's great that you mentioned perspective as well, because one of the one of the fascinating things that happened to me and really grounded me uh, into and really grounded me was shortly after our run at Fox Sports Radio, late January of this year, 2019. I get a call from Miami, a station in Miami realizes that I'm available. Programmer there who had heard us together for years, loved my style, loved what I did as a host and with updates. And they wanted to hire me to anchor their format and their new, their new format, their new talk format, be the image voice for the station, be the morning guy. It was going to be all about me. And they uh, invited to fly me into Miami to show me around the studios and I could look for a house, et cetera. So they, they purchased the plane ticket. They give me the information. I'm supposed to fly out on a Wednesday in early February to go to Miami and talk at myself, about myself and look at their brand new studios and launch their brand new format with me as the star. So, I go to confirm my reservation about 24 hours in advance, and I can't confirm my reservation. And it was booked by the CEO of the company. So I text him, but he says he's at a funeral. He says, don't worry. We bought it. It's there. We'll figure it out. I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll leave him alone. He's at a funeral. And then eventually I still started poking around. I was getting impatient, and it hadn't been paid for yet, which I thought was strange. And the whole day went on by about nine o'clock at night. It's supposed to leave at six o'clock the next morning on a Wednesday morning. The guy for the CEO of the company finally calls me and talks about what a big fan he is and then says that they decided to go in a different direction. Now, th this is incredibly disappointing for several reasons, including the fact they came to me. That's always more disappointing when someone comes to you, says we're going to roll out a Briggs truck and we're going to make you a star, et cetera. And then, they changed their mind. And so this is on, and I'm stunned. And I'm thinking, well, I'm glad I didn't work for that company. So it's late on a Tuesday night. I was supposed to leave out that Wednesday morning. I wake up on Wednesday morning and I get a text. And my cousin Jim in Seattle had died in a skiing accident. And uh, I always referred to him as my cousin. He was my cousin Maggie's husband. And we were all very close. They had dated since the 80s. And so when I introduced him to people, in order to cut to the chase, I just referred to him as my cousin. I figured it. And plus, it, it, it sounded like I adopted him. It made him part of the family. So I always introduced him as my cousin, Jim. And so instead of sitting around a radio studio and looking for a home in Miami and sitting around with the sales department at the station talking about myself 
there was something more noble I needed to do. I hopped on a plane and flew to Seattle, and I was at the side of my cousin Maggie and my two cousins, Matthew and Stephen, who were 18 and 21, who had just lost their father. And I was there with Maggie, who had just lost her husband. We were all close since the 80s. And, I was, and she had seven older brothers. So I beat my seven cousins there. Not that it's a contest, but I was closer. They're on the East Coast. And so it gave me the perspective. Wow, it's actually a good thing that I didn't get that big radio job in Miami because I'm getting to be here where I'm supposed to be, near the side of my cousin who had just lost her husband far too young in a skiing accident. So there's always those things, this big drama that our show was canceled or I'm unemployed and all those other things. And then there's life and death to smack you in the face and let you know, oh, that's right. It could be worse. Yeah, and that's what I learned. I repeated that a few times about Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre on their HBO documentary series that they put out. And there was a big line in it where they were talking about something ending and a job ending, and nobody cares. Literally nobody cares <laughs> a week later, a week right. later after looking at my phone and people tweeting at me, what happened at Fox? Did you get fired? Why aren't you there? This and that. And then a week later, everybody gets on with their life. And it's a really important lesson yeah. that I learned at that point. And it's all because of my wife. My wife is such a better human being and so grounded and she gets everything. And she understood it at the whole time that I had to go through this process because I was very proud of the run that I had. And I thought I deserved much more on the way out, let alone a new contract. And for you and I to work together for years to come and hit those milestones is that it was so important to me over the coming weeks and coming months. And then I buried myself in all this work with mad dog and CBS sports radio and the local show and the Raiders that I kind of got away from it and realized that no one remembered, no one cared. No one looked back four months later saying, hey, remember this or that? Everybody moves on in their lives. And that's another lesson. And I mentor a lot of young broadcasters that I want to remind some of the younger guys and gals coming up. It's not that big of a deal. Just get ready for new opportunities. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, I'll credit my mom and dad. They deserve it. I've never been afraid of the next door. I've been known to be too bitter about the last door oh, closing. Yeah. One of the reasons why I wanted to cleanse myself in this radio confessional, but I've never been intimidated, worried, or in fear about the next opportunity. I can't wait for the next opportunity. Oh, I think too. I have a good one now, and I know the next one's going to be better. And for most broadcasters, this could happen in real life, but if we narrow cast this down from uh -huh. broadcasting it, for young broadcasters, you don't know what's going to happen two, three years from now. There is zero loyalty, zero. There are some great places to work. And my time at Fox for a long time was typically a great place to work. But at the end or at any point when it ends, don't take it personal the way I did, because there's no loyalty. People are only worried about their jobs, their lives, and the next door will open. And if it doesn't open, kick it in. 
knock it yep. over and go get the opportunity that's next for you. If there's no door, build one as well as I think Milton Berle said back in the day. If I'm <laughs> Uncle Milty for our demo, we'll do, we're, we're older it up. Oh Uncle God. Milty. I got my like this Tourette's syndrome. I should have edited myself before that came out. But you're right. And no matter actually, you know, and it's just not a knock on the industry, but that happened in America in the 70s and 80s. And people, you know, used to be able to work at a spark plug factory from age 18 till 65 and retire and get your retirement and uh, and go to Hawaii and have a house in Florida and a house in Indiana. But that's not the way it works anymore, whether you work in a spark plug mm -hmm. factory or whether you work in radio. Uh, loyalty is different now. It's about bean counting. Uh, if, if you're a great person who shows up for work on time, well bathed and gets along with others, a lot of times it won't matter. They'll fire you anyway. But when you're talking about the next door and having the guts to go for it and the way mm -hmm. you were raised, it made me think of my mother. Uh, my dad died young. He died when I was four, as I mentioned earlier. And when we were growing up, when Evil Knievel was on television, she was addicted to talk shows, which is probably why I love talk shows, uh, because that's what's on TV and we had no choice. And it was it was The Tonight Show and Johnny Carson and Dick Cavett. And, and during the day, it was Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas. And, and uh, late at night, it was David Suskind on a Sunday night that my mother used to watch. And if Evil Knievel was on the TV, my mother would call the boys in. You would think it would be the other way around. <laughs> the boys would call the mom in. And at the time, you don't know what a crush is when you're a little kid. But when you grow up and you look back, you think, oh, my God, my mother had a crush on Evel Knievel. My mother, a college-educated woman with a master's degree, had a crush on Evel Knievel, who was a charismatic man. And my mother always used to say, you got to see this guy. He's got guts. And so when you grow up with a mother... Uh, who loves evil Knievel, you never have to worry about being a daredevil. You never have to worry about going for it. My mother admired guys and tried to bring up boys with guts who had the guts mm -hmm. to go for it. So just like you, uh, when the door was closing at Fox Sports Radio, there was also part of me that was really excited. Wow, uh, I'm going to get to open another door. I guess I'll have to open it for myself. Let's see what happens. And so same as you, I'm excited about the next step and not worrying and not sitting around, biting my nails, wringing my hands, too worried about what happened. Thank you. I landed on number 14. I, I didn't get all the way across it. This motorcycle is the finest machine in the world as far as I'm concerned. It broke in half, but it held me up. And all I can say is thanks to number one, thanks to Harley Davidson. You've been so good to me through the years. I can't believe my personal radio confessional turned into Toots's, your mom's crush on evil can evil. And I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy you were there for that. But yeah, one other thing on this, the, the one thing about trying to get that milestone of being the longest syndicated host at one place, a shame that that meant so much to me. It really did because what was going to happen at the end and if I broke that record, which I was six months away nothing. from breaking, nothing was going to happen. Absolutely. I mean, I remember on my 10 year anniversary, you wrote a article about me praising me and got scolded. I got, for it. Yes, I got in trouble. Yeah. I got in yeah. trouble. Yeah, that's who we I were got dealing in with. Trouble for being a loyal guy to my friend and professional colleague. You know, a lot of times guys who who were working together over the years don't even talk to each other after four or five years. Don't even look at each other when they're doing a talk show. And we got better friends every day day of the talk show and so yeah i wrote a testimonial to you after your 10-year anniversary at fox sports radio and got yelled at uh for writing nice things about you online 
Imagine what the imagine what the eighteen and two month uh, would have been. But the point was, if I if I ended up hitting that, you milestone, would have been the only one talking about it. You're right. Well, what I would have done, which would have been great, is I would have thrown a party for me, and it yeah. would have been the biggest party in Sherman Oaks, and I wouldn't have invited management. Yeah, and I would right. have been. I would have paid for everyone's drink, everyone's <laughs> right. food. I would have picked up a two thousand dollar tab, celebrating the fact <laughs> that we achieved something without the help of certain people who were never right. in it to help us. And again, I needed to get this off my chest because 2020 is going to be exceptional. No matter what happens at Mad Dog Radio or for you at KABC or what we yes, do on the podcast. Yes, I didn't podcast. mention As a matter yeah, of fact, look at how we were talking a lot about how about perspective and uh, and radio confessional. And I didn't talk about the fact that, right, I got hired. Well, great call letters are that. How's that on the resume? KABC. So cool. It was the number one station in LA forever. Now it's kind of like I got hired as a manager at Blockbuster. I don't know how much longer <laughs> because it's not doing very well in the ratings, but it's a great legendary radio station. I'm getting to you know, I'm my own managing editor. It's wonderful. I'm anchoring the news on the weekends on Saturdays and Sundays, 6, 6 a.m. till noon on 790 KABC, a legendary uh, radio station. And it's terrific fun. I don't know how long it's going to last, but they're always going to get 110% from me. And that's why they hired me because they know I'm going to go on the air and uh, and always bring a lot of pride to my brand and to theirs. Nicely said, absolutely. And I wanted yeah. to dedicate this podcast to Andrew Ashwood, uh, the gorilla who passed mm -hmm. away, but he brought us together. And by bringing us together for what you talked about earlier, it spawned a friendship that will last forever. And that's more important to me than any radio shift or time slot or how long we work together is the long-term friendship. And to open up now a new chapter and to have unique things happening for both of us. This podcast is really important because Andrew would be proud that we're talking so honestly about a chapter in both of our lives that came to He'd an be end. Proud now that we're evolving and doing a podcast as well. Instead yeah. of making fun of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, we're instead of mocking podcasts. podcasts because we had too many radio shows to have a podcast. <laughs> the irony of that. You know, it's it's great. And a good way to wrap this up is is how I bitch and moan about irony. I use that all the time when I call right. call you. And my every other conversation I have with you, I always talk about the irony of yeah. what's happened or how it's how how it's going. And the irony to wrap up this podcast and this conversation about our chapter together is that it was radio. It wasn't life. Radio is a part of my right. life, but my life and my friendship and my family is so much bigger and more important than radio. But for young broadcasters, you need to bust your ass, work your ass off and put your life on hold when you're getting into this business to get a career going right. and to get a career instead of having jobs. I never had jobs. I always had a career going. Okay. And now my career is about a whole bunch of new jobs that I'm trying to tie up in a bow. So I hope this helps a lot of young broadcasters who can hear the ebb and flow and the emotions of what it's like to have a career, to continue the career, to hit a bump in the road, to look forward to something else and wonder how you're going to deal with a chapter closing because in radio, you think because people listen to the radio, everybody's going to care. Not everybody cares. Just the loyal audience who will always have your back. And I want to thank, Tom, our lo loyal audience on the JT and Looney podcast. Thank you and good night. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.